Hello, beautiful people. Quick question. Have you ever thought to yourself, I've been passed up for a promotion, but I don't understand why? Or I want to change in my career, but where do I even begin? We know we're not the only ones that have had these questions. And that's why we started this podcast. It's called Career Gems for the Journey. And we hope that as you listen, you'll discover some gems for your career journey. I'm Leah Murphy, and I wear many hats. I'll tell you about three of them. I'm an engineer by trade, a career coach, and an entrepreneur, all while working to stay happily married and raise three children. And my name is Alma Gordon. I'm a brand marketer, entrepreneur, and serial passion pursuer with a business approach to my endeavors, but always with a creative spin. And we're two really great friends that have supported one another throughout our professional careers. I mean, we've been through it all, and we're here to share some authentic stories, key successes, and setbacks. You're not going to want to miss this. Career Gems for the Journey specializes in team building and keynote speaking that can be delivered virtually and or in person. If you're looking for an organization to provide turnkey team building as a part of your team offsite, retreat, or strategy session, we have what you're looking for. Visit us at gemsforthejourney.org to reserve your date. Hello, hello, beautiful people. This is Leah Murphy back again with another episode of the Career Gems for the Journey podcast. I am so excited to be back with you. We have such an amazing lineup coming, but today we are going to first do a little bit of housekeeping before I introduce and jump the gun, because you guys know as I live in my authentic self, I get excited. So (laughs) I need my notes so I can make sure I don't miss all of the important things that we need to discuss. So um, the first thing is, Really excited that you're back here for the Career Gems for the Journey podcast, so thank you. The second thing is we have been talking and having really, really valuable conversations on a number of different platforms now. So we've also introduced a YouTube channel. It's Career Gems for the Journey on YouTube. So if you're interested and you want a little bit of visual to go with your audio, please do check us out on our YouTube channel. Excited for that. And then just to bounce it up one step higher. We've been having amazing conversations with so many of our clients, corporate clients, as well as nonprofits. And we actually incorporated a new offering on careergemsforthejourney.org where we focus on really team building. We've talked about previous on previous episodes, how to build high-performing teams and what that looks like to engender trust. So we just felt like, all right, well, now the people need it. So um, join us over at career gems for the journey gems for the journey.org and you'll be able to get in connection with us if you are looking for team building resources and we'll have a little bit more information for you there in the show notes so now we're going to get into this juicy juicy episode i have the amazing and talented madam vice president diana housling who is sitting in my co-host chair today welcome diana thank you so much for having me excited to be here again and still missing alma who's <laughs> enjoying all those sweet sweet baby smells Yes, she's on a countdown to come back. She's actually excited to come back. So I'm looking forward to that. But it's been such an amazing journey just to ride this with you. So I appreciate you um, supporting us in the co-house seat. So today I'm going to um, bring to the Career Gems for the Journey audience for the first time. But I have gotten to see her in the background and really um, she's a friend in my head. She and Diana are friends in real life. She's a friend in my head, um, Sarah Hofstetter. But I'm going to let Diana give Sarah an appropriate introduction before we jump into the conversation. You know, I love to be a really good hype woman. So I'm going to do my best um, hip hop hype 
girl background. So first, uh, Sarah Hofstetter, not only is she the president uh, of Profitero, she also was the, C the former CEO of 360i. She's an icon, not only in the advertising industry, uh, in the marketing industry, but now in the digital commerce space which she knew very little about when she got into it and now is basically running the show. Um, she's a marketer hall of famer, uh, for those of you who know about the ANA. Um, and then she's just an all around badass. And for me personally, I have the pleasure of considering her and calling her a friend, uh, mentor, uh, guide, um, stop doing shit person. Um, so just really excited to have her here. So you get to get a little piece of that authentic, caring and loving human that I get to interact with on a regular basis. Um, so be prepared and get your notebooks out. Oh my God. I can only disappoint. This is, this is like, it, it's making me redder than my dress. And also, um, really hoping I don't screw this thing up, but <laughs> thank you, Leah. Thank you, Diana. You guys, I'm, I'm sorry, Leah, you were my friend in real life. And now I'm only a friend in your head. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I didn't, that is, that we just hadn't thing. said it out loud. We hadn't said it out loud, but now the moment is happening. No, no, no. Friends. Okay. Friends. Friends. Done. Yes. Done. Pinky swear. <laughs> Pinky swear. So even if nothing else happens on this podcast, this was successful. So I, we wanted to talk and have this conversation. We've been talking about this for a while, kind of in the background and really excited to bring your voice to the platform, Sarah. Um, your podcast, Brave Commerce is constantly a source of just innovative and like thoughtful dialogue. And so much of that is threaded with your personality and Rachel Tipograph, who, you know, also does amazing work, but to bring you on this podcast, talk a little bit more about your career journey and how um, varied it has been and really just to lean into a, dis a discussion around different and the power of different and how that can manifest in some amazing opportunities. But there also is some other things that come along with that. And you're just such a great model for that. Diana called you an icon. And I was like, yes, icon status. I love it. <laughs> I love that for you. So just tell us a little bit about your background. Um, in addition to what Diana shared, how did your career begin? And, you know, how do you see the evolution of your career and then who you are as a leader. Just help us, help us with a little bit of information from the background there. Well, I feel like in the whole spirit of bringing your whole self to work, which I, we, we could have a whole debate about because maybe people bring a little too much of themselves to work, but let's, let's park that. Um, I, I do want to kind of background with a little bit of personal and a little bit of professional, but I think we'll start with professional. So, um, no, we'll start with personal. So, I was not necessarily slated to go to college or be in the workforce. Um, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish environment. I still am. Um, I still do live. I only live like a mile from where I grew up. And um, a big part of what makes for a very strong woman is getting married, having babies, having more babies, supporting your spouse, and as they move up in the career ladder and you make sure the home is beautiful, perfect, and not that you're a trophy wife, but you certainly have to look like you've got all your shit together. Um, and in many instances that works beautifully. Um, and the truth is I kind of thought that was what I was going to do. And I wasn't unhappy about that. In fact, uh, every Saturday when I would walk to synagogue with my dad, um, he, he used to say to me, Sarah, I have two requests of you marry rich and make me a grandfather before I'm 40. Those were the two requests, um, of me. I failed both, 
miserably. Um, but my dad was a grandfather before 50, definitely for sure. Thanks to me. Um, but just to give you like a little bit of a vibe of like, it's not like somebody was telling me, oh yes, you can do anything and you should totally go into business or advertising or any of the things that I currently do. That was not the game plan. But then I got to college, um, which my parents didn't think they needed to pay for, not because they didn't have the money, but because I didn't really need a college education. I went anyway. Um, I went to a really crappy college um, and I ended up get, falling in love, well, with my husband, but also with journalism and storytelling. And um, I, I, I decided I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to tell the world stories, stories about what was happening, stories about things you don't necessarily see under any other circumstances and bring light and truth to the world so that the world can, you know, do, do the things that it needs to do in a good way. Of course, this was before social media. This was like in the early nineties. Um, so didn't know what happens when people tell their own truths, but again, sidebar. So, um, I wanted to be a journalist and then I had this fantastic internship at the New York times. I, I interned there for a couple of years. Um, and then when I graduated college, um, $18,000 a year wasn't really going to cut it in terms of being able to live on my own. At the time I was engaged, we were not going to be able to make the rent on $18,000 a year. So I sold my soul to the devil and went into PR, did not know anything about PR, but I was like, it's story, but with a bias, how hard could it be? Um, you know, writing a press release, pitching a reporter here and there, not really like that complicated relative to, um, actual journalism. I didn't know anything about it. I had never done anything like that before. So I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a book, like basically PR for dummies. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but that's what it was. And, uh, did that for eight years, um, at a startup and eventually figured it out and got kind of decent at it for a while. And my career has basically taken, um, lots of different turns, but all, all, the consistent part of the whole thing has been storytelling. I I love helping people better understand things through stories. I love helping people better connect through stories. And so probably the past 20 years of my career, God, I sound really old, but the past 20 years of my career has really been about um, seeing changes that are happening in the world. Lately, it's been really as it relates to tech and consumer behavior and helping big companies understand what that means and what the implications are and bridging the gap between consumer behavior and market readiness. So did it with search engine marketing, did it with social media and now doing it with e-commerce. Um, so that's the, 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 the red thread that kind of weaves through it all. It's a long answer. There's so much in that answer. I'm going to, Leah, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. <laughs> So, I've heard this story before, so I want to get your visceral reaction. Yeah, so I think the first part that makes it so um, commanding of attention. First, I think the clarity that you have now, the storytelling is your thread, but really this kind of starting point of, you know, there's a lot of positivity and a lot of um, push forward now these days. And some of it is, you know, really important and necessary and, and critical to mental health and overall, overall well-being. But for you to talk about, having, you know, neutral essentially expectations of you, but your aspirations and your own ambition pushing you forward. I'm really curious to start with like, you know, as we talk about the power of different, what was it like to be an ambitious person, an ambitious woman in the 90s starting your career, knowing that $18,000 wasn't going to be enough. And then, you know, charting a path to say, 
I, you know, I have to create a life for myself that works for me and, and what I'm looking for. How was ambition treated? How did you perceive that within yourself? Well, it, it, I'm, I'm trying to have my memory work, which is not so great. And obviously people's memories come at a heavy degree of bias, but I cannot tell you that I was an ambitious person when I was growing up. I think if you were looking at my high school yearbook and look at, you know, somebody most likely to succeed, I don't think I would end up in the nominations, um, any nominations actually. Um, but I think when I thought, when I found things that I got passionate about, then that catapulted the ambition to be really good at those things that I got passionate about. So whatever it is, and, and, you know, both of you can attest to this, cause I know you're both well enough. You see, when I get passionate about something like there's no stopping, there's just no stopping. I'll, I'll be going through that brick wall Kool-Aid style. Like don't, don't, don't mess with me. I will get that done. Um, and I think that's kind of how I ended up feeling both about journalism, about storytelling, and then ultimately being good at my job, whatever that job was. So I think I just had to figure out what that thing was that clicked as it relates to ambition. There was definitely a lot of cultural nuance that went into, you know, ambitious women, particularly professionally ambitious women. I was just talking to my niece about this over the past weekend because she, she's got a two-year-old, she's in nursing school and she's trying to figure it, it all out. And she says she's getting a lot of like flack about, you know, trying to figure out how to have her cake and eat it too, which, you know, it's never, it's, it's, it's never all at the same time going to work out, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I, it, it reminded me of when I went back to work after my, my first child was born and having a conversation um, with my, my family, my, my parents, my in-laws, and it was like, you're going back to work, but who's going to watch your baby. I was like, okay, well I could go back to work or we could have diapers. Like, I, I don't really know how to square all this out, but you know, unless you guys are funding my life, I'm going back to work. By the time I came to my second child, which was a couple of years later, I was not in, it wasn't something that I was doing out of necessity. I mean, of course, you know, paychecks helpful, but it was because I enjoyed it. And I wasn't abandoning my children. I just wasn't with them while they were in school. It's not that freaking complicated. And so it's not to say that there weren't trade-offs or there weren't rough nights or there weren't rough days, but it was like, it, there, there was this immediate thing of like, I'm a bad mother because, and then, you know, you go and you, and you don't do carpool drop-off and you're a bad mother because. Um, and I had to get those demons out of my head and it wasn't easy, but again, the, the, the success ends up helping you realize, okay, you're actually really good at doing this. And the success goes with parenting. The success goes with, uh, with professional, like my kids didn't hate me. My kids, I mean, didn't, didn't hate is a pretty low bar, but you know, <laughs> but, but you know, my kids were not saying, oh my gosh, you're, you know, how come you're not like Molly's mom, Molly's mom never leaves the, you know, the, the one mile radius of her house. No, they, they, they actually were proud of their mom. So, um, that, that being said, it didn't necessarily come naturally. So there's something that I, anyone I've talked about in the past is your ability to take something that could seem like unsurmountable for a lot of people and make it really simple and just move. Like you even talked about it with PR, like I got, I went to Barnes and Noble's got a book, how hard could it be? But if you think about the, the time frame, um, being a woman, even today, being a woman in advertising, in PR and not working on Saturday <laughs> and having to go to 
kosher restaurants anytime you entertain a client or just not eating. Can you speak a little bit about what that's like? Because I think oftentimes for a lot of people, they get to a barrier or a wall and it feels insurmountable and then they're frozen. But you seem to figure out a way to not see the barrier as a barrier and to climb it, maneuver around it, go under it. So can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So just to, to, you know, level set for the audience, because I have no idea how much knowledge you have about observant Judaism or anything like that. And I can't tell you that I'm the most observant Jew in any way, but there are certain non-negotiables for me in general. And one of them is observing the Sabbath, which means that I don't work from um, sundown on Friday until Saturday night. Um, there are also some other holidays that are involved where I am equally turning into a pumpkin, for lack of a better term. Um, and as Diane mentioned, I also do, I, I also eat exclusively kosher, which means that I can only eat either at a kosher establishment or have a kosher caterer bring in food to a non-kosher restaurant, which is typically a massive pain in the neck and involves an insane amount of aluminum foil. Um, for further information on this, I guess maybe we can put it in the show notes or just, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, and I would say for the first few years of my career, I didn't really tell anybody about it, tried to avoid it as much as I possibly could. But as I moved up in, in my career, it became more and more of a challenge. And, you know, people might say, especially today where, you know, there are more boundaries kind of set up. Oh my gosh, you, you, you don't work Saturday, big deal. But when you're in advertising and you've got a pitch or you've got a deadline and you're managing people that are all going to be working on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels incredibly hypocritical to say, peace guys, I'm out of here. You know, my, my, my religion comes before work. I don't really know what you have going on, but I got to get out of here. And it definitely felt pretty horrible. Um, and I also felt like I was in a position where, um, I was competing against people that were working seven days a week and I was working six days a week. And I know that this sounds like a little bit mental, but that is the way it, it it was. And I felt like I never had the opportunity to have a competitive advantage. Or back in the day, I was competing against Gary Vaynerchuk. He had a, an ad agency. I had an ad agency. And Gary is 24-7 and then some. And he's got cool experiences. And he's got celebrities. And he's got like all this like awesomeness. And he's a pretty awesome guy, pretty impressive fellow. And then there's me the Jewish girl from Long Island. Like, it's just, you well, know- you both curse like sailors. So that's Yes, 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 there, there is that, there is that. And so you kind of like, I'm like, how the hell am I ever gonna win? Um, but there, there were a couple of things that, that, that over time became more clear. One is you cannot look at your vulnerabilities as vulnerabilities because there's no black and white as it relates to that because it's, it's, it's not about what you do have. It's about what it enables you to do. That's why like people who have victim complexes, I have no patience for that kind of crap. So it's, it's, it's more about can or can't. So for me, like the Sabbath thing, for example, I, there's no question. Anybody who knows me knows I am not going to drop. I am not going to miss a deadline. I don't miss deadlines. I don't miss deadlines. I don't miss deadlines. I don't make a deadline for Sabbath but I, I don't miss deadlines. Um, however, that doesn't mean that I don't have to work harder in order to be able to make that work. I'm not a superhuman. I can't do things faster or better than others. I just have to figure out how to better manage my time. And my executive functioning is pretty damn good. And obviously I speak kind of fast. So I'm already efficient because I'm already at 1x speed, 1.5x speed. So there's that. Um, 
But Sabbath for me is basically why I haven't burnt out. So most people, if they were running a million miles a minute, like I typically do, would burn out in the first year, two years, I don't know, two weeks going at that kind of pace. But for me, I have a break every, every, every week. I have a break where I can just shut down, be with my family, take a nap, drink some wine. No, no implications at all. Just be me, read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover in, in, and just have a nice relaxing opportunity. And I get to do that every week. The only reason I have not burned out and it also keeps me grounded. It keeps me grounded in my fan in my values and my family on the kosher front. I mean, Diana, God bless you. You've been to more kosher restaurants than, 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 than most people in your neighborhood. And you've got a bunch of Jews in your neighborhood, but, um, their experiences and being able to have a different kind of experience, um, becomes more memorable. How many times do you guys get invited out to these Michelin restaurants and, you know, Dana and I will be going to Cannes and, and, and we'll be at these very, very, um, special places, but I cannot tell you how many clients I have taken out to like rinky dink holes in the wall in Cannes who remember that more than they'll remember some of the most unbelievable experiences. And it's more just about the, the authenticity that kind of comes along with that. So, you know, I'm living, I'm living my true self and that allows others to see, I'm not going to, you know, that's just who I'm going to be. It's who I'm going to be as a person. And it's going to be who I'm going to be professionally. So Sarah, the, there was so much there, right? Like it's, it's such a great story, right? Which is, is your superpower um, is storytelling. So it all makes sense. But when I think about the thing that really rings the bell for me in a really significant way in that story was as you talk about your authenticity and as you talk about the version of different that you show up as how it's no longer a vulnerability in the way that you talk to yourself or about yourself. Even if other people on the outside are describing or being nuts, doing whatever it is they do, you're like, no, 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 this is who I am. And I think that's a really important thing for women to hear. Oftentimes in a career and in an environment is I can own my own narrative. The way I talk about myself, the way I show up um, and my authenticity allows me to own my own narrative. I'm curious, as you think about um, this thing about non-negotiables, right? So your non-negotiables came from a place of faith initially, but is, are there other things that you've been able to um, carry that over to as we try to really engage women in this discussion saying, how can you show up and bring the best version of yourself? And sometimes that requires some, like, some boundaries, some guardrails in order for you to show up in the best way. So as you think about non-negotiables related to your faith, maybe that's a little bit more palatable. Maybe folks will be like, okay, well, we can't, you know, we're not going to be the one to say anything about your faith, but are there other areas where you've been able to like establish a non-negotiable um, and that help you um, throughout your, your professional life? Well, I, I, I wish I could tell you that I was more disciplined about that other stuff. I can't stick to a diet. I'm not really good about the gym. Like, I, I think there are only so many that non-negotiables that you can kind of create for yourself, especially, and, and I think this is kind of, I, I don't know if this is going to be a particularly um, loaded topic. I think you can only have so many non-negotiables in your life because otherwise you're an inflexible human being. Um, so I find that I actually have to be a lot more flexible about other things, which is my excuse for not dieting. Um, uh, but in terms of just being able to, to say there are certain things obviously that are going to be important to everybody. And that doesn't make any one 
one person's value system different than another. So if you have, God forbid, a sick parent, um, or if you've got kids, you gotta, you gotta relieve the babysitter. Like you've got like that basic kind of stuff that you guys got to take care of. There's nobody that says like, whether it's a woman or a man, whether it's a mother or, or, or a child, I think everybody's kind of have to, has to set their non-negotiables, whatever they are, where things get really tricky is when you have too many of them and then you're inflexible at work. Oh, well, I've got a sick parent or I've got a sick kid, or I just have my responsibilities as, as a parent. Um, but I also want to go to the gym and I also have this like fantastic Pilates class that's at one o'clock in the afternoon. So I can't come into the office anymore because, you know, I have this new non-negotiable where I don't miss Pilates. Like you still have to go to work. You still have OKRs. You still have responsibilities. And so I, I, I have to tell you, I wish I could tell you that I had more non-negotiables, but now that I think about it, I don't know that I can afford to have more non-negotiables for myself because I have set my faith as such a critical one. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I talk about traveling, like I really try not to travel as much as I can on Sundays because, because I've got Sabbath Sunday, at least I'm either with my family or with my husband, I'm getting ready for the week. Like I have home responsibilities. I go to the supermarket I or Instacart, but like, I'll, I'll be, I, I, I got to keep the, the show running. So those are certain things that like they're small non-negotiables. I just get concerned when people, you know, have their, like their laundry list of all of the things that they won't do. I once had a, an employee, I worked on Coca-Cola business. I once had an employee who told me her non-negotiable, she'll never work on a soda account. And I'm like, oh, okay. So is cannabis okay? Is alcohol, like you just won't work on soda? Oh, I don't do anything with sugar. Get out, just leave, just leave. Go find the, I, I, I can't deal with that kind of stuff. But so it, it it almost is a filter, right? Because I think your non-negotiables also allow you, like, you know, obviously the soda account was an extreme because it's like, okay, well, um, good luck with that. True story. <laughs> good luck with that. I don't know how you work on advertising and don't I don't know, it. right? You how you think it's advertiser. You get excited to work on soda. Yeah. But what I would think, you rather, Ozempic? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea of like filtering out things that aren't for you early ahead, early on is a good thing. But yeah. I also think people navigating new environments that they're not willing to be flexible and learn in will just harm you no matter what. Cause it's like, well, what, how do you know upfront that it's not a fit for you unless you've had a little bit of experience or unless you're willing to like lean into just being open, right? Just being open to learn. So I like the idea that there is no perfect fit on what your non-negotiables are, but there has to be a limit, right? We have to operate within reason because businesses still have to be run. Relationships are still really important. So the other thing that you said earlier that made, um, you you talked about the authenticity and should you leave things on the shelf? Are people bringing too much of themselves to work? The story that you just told to me is like, you're bringing a little bit too much of yourself into the day-to-day -day operation of work, right? You still have OKRs deliver. So it's, it's a balance that needs to be struck. So I'm curious as we think about I love to use the word audacity, right? So I'm going to frame, I love to use the word audacity because I think all of us need a little bit more of it. I think there's a lot of humility that's kind of conditioned into women um, and, you know, professionals, black and brown professionals, especially to be grateful for everything that you do have and not to, you know, ruffle any feathers or not to be a disruptor. But I think we need a little bit more audacity in the vein of how do I push and talk about what I do in a way that feels 
honest, but also feels like it's like dripping in excellence or dripping in excitement and high quality. And I, I talk about those experiences in a really thoughtful way. And I find that it's not something that a lot of us have been kind of conditioned to do, but you as a storyteller do it so effortlessly. So what do you think um, are some things that folks can kind of get out of their way if they can move the mental block to say, how do I tell stories about the work that I do um, in a way that feels a little bit audacious, but it also allows me an opportunity to own my own narrative, right? So kind of threading those two things together. I think that there's a difference between um, self-promotion and bullshit. And there are there's so much bullshit in self-promotion that you kind of have to figure out how you're telling your true story without being, you know, ridiculous. So to me, the, the, I, I don't believe that I became particularly audacious until I felt like I had wins on the board. And I think that you don't get to be audacious until you have achievement. People confuse achievement and activity, activity, I'm sorry. I'm not very excited to hear that you manage social media for 17 different celebrities. That's an activity. What's the achievement that you've actually done? And once you start having achievements, then that's the beauty that goes back to the journalism part of it, not the storytelling part of it, where you're actually saying, here are the achievements. Here are either the numbers I put on the board or the outcomes that I have created. And then it's not about humility or audacity. It's just about telling, telling the news. And when you've got the news and the news is good, if you want to put a sexier headline on it, more power to you. But I don't think you need a sexy headline when you're kicking ass. So I love no. that. I love that because what I, um, what I've shared with a lot of my clients is telling the truth, right? You're just, you're, it's a story about the work that you're doing. It is the truth. It is your receipts, right? But your point of, you have to have some success. You have to have some credibility as a result of success. And a lot of times that requires you to, you know, do the work to become a subject matter expert in your discipline. And then now you're at a place where I, you have the credibility because you have the results, the organization that you work for sees those results, right? There's a very translated value proposition that now gets shared. And so I love that you're saying that's the prerequisite, right? Let's not get audacious if you're not actually good at what you do. Let's get good first. <laughs> Let's focus yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> They're baby steps. Baby and, then steps. and then you're just saying facts. It's just facts on facts on facts. Exactly. Facts. Makes but it easy. Two things that I, I do want to just give you a, a space to speak about connections you build deep connections are already you know in this in this chat alone you and leah have elevated elevated from friends in your heads to friends in real life soon you'll be braiding each other's hair who knows um but connections and community you are a community builder and i am grateful to be a part of several of those communities that you not only build but keep going because as adults it's really hard to keep these communities going and if, as I look at your career and the conversations we've had about your career, those connections in the community have been the result of some big wins for you, whether it's jobs that you've been um, pulled into because people know what you can do well, boards that you sit on. Um, can you share a little bit about how you leverage connections and community um, and where that comes from for you? Sure. So I am, talking about vulnerabilities, I'm terrible at small talk. I hate cocktail parties. I'm really bad at it. 
um, because I just like talking about substance. Um, and that's a problem professionally. If you can't just make small talk, it's really hard because, and as I already knows, I host a lot of events. The problem is I get caught. I, I go and I talk to somebody and I want to hear their, their life story. And I want to figure out how I can be helpful to them in some way, shape or form. And then I don't end up talking to anybody else in the room. Um, so the, that that's problem one. Problem two is when I got into this e-commerce space just a few years ago, as Diana mentioned in the intro, I didn't know my ass from my elbow about this stuff at all. And I, what was worse is that I thought I did, I got here and I realized I knew nothing and it wasn't, and the imposter syndrome was out of control, but it was 100% warranted because I really did not know what I was talking about. So then I started to get to know a lot of other people in the space. And Diana was seriously one of the best connectors I ever could have found, but also one of the best educators I could have found to help me understand kind of like how this stuff works. And then you start meeting all these other people through, through these connections. And you realize there is a tremendous industry here of super smart people that are like, not just Swiss army knives of understanding how businesses work, but like a Swiss army knife generally has pretty crappy tools, like a Swiss army knife that actually all the tools are really, really good. And what was, what was very interesting was that everybody was connected to a couple of people, but people were not necessarily connected to each other coming out of the advertising industry. We love community. We have communities upon communities upon communities in the commerce space there really wasn't very much. And in certain cases, it wasn't, there, there is an old boys club kind of situation going on. The women, on the other hand, it was like, if you had a girlfriend, that was great. But um, so, you know, myself and a few others, including Diana, started trying to figure out how we could help more people connect with each other, whether that is the misery loves company when shit's going weird in the, in the office and there's a reorg, or negotiating your your raise or negotiating your title or um, or even just finding your next job or helping a friend find their next job. Kind of going back to the whole value system, you know, there there's um there's a Jewish concept of not just charity, but there are eight there are eight levels of charity, you know. There's giving to another human being, there's giving anonymously, because then there's really no expectation of anything in return, including the emotional high of giving to somebody. Um, but the highest form of charity is finding somebody a job. It's like teach, teach a man or a woman or whatever you are to fish. And when you can do that, that is the highest form of charity because you're giving them the tools to be able to be successful. So for me, community has always been about that helping people like either get their next job, be their best selves. And I have to tell you, that gives me so much fuel for me. That's the thing I absolutely love the most about my job, more than any of the other things that I get to do. Um, and when it works, it's just absolutely beautiful. And if it doesn't work, it's a learning opportunity for another one. So I think the what you talked about your passions in the very beginning of the episode, right? It feels like that community um, building passion is what continues to fuel you, right? And that's how you stay on this flywheel of excitement. Yeah, very much so. I mean, look, I have two kids. I love them to death. There was a big part of me that wanted more kids. Um, I mentally was not in the right frame of mind during my childbearing years. It's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Um, but I love 
get seeing people become their best selves. And in lieu of not having more children, like creating these communities to me feels like growing, you know, growing and raising just seeing people at their best, not because I did it, but maybe I, I, I connected one person to another person and now they're off to the races doing amazing things together. Like that just brings me tremendous joy. And yes, it is a massive passion point. Well, and it's, if I think about how you extend your time, you put quite a bit of time into this. There are the big things that people see and it's posted on LinkedIn and, you know, but there's a lot of the quiet work that you do behind the scenes that people don't really know about with people at any level. Like I, I can send anyone to Sarah and, and, and she will help them, not just the one time, but, you know, really invest in them. I think there's one other topic that I just wanted to connect with you on because Oftentimes when we talk about career, and I've done this in a couple of episodes with Leah, I talk about the importance of picking the right partner because that's going to make a difference in what you'll be able to do. And you've really been able to pick partners in, in two areas of your life, your personal partner with your husband, but then also your partner from a career standpoint. So, you know, the two men in your life, would you want to share a little bit about just how you were able to select both of those partners that enable you to kind of really be your best self and achieve your uh, goals and accomplishments? Sure. Um, you know, what's interesting is that both of them I met in my twenties. And I think that there's something about, and, you know, obviously we can't go back to the cradle and start all over again, but I think one of the things about meeting people in your, in your twenties is your brain is not even fully formed at the time, which means that if you, if, and when you meet somebody at that point, if you stay with them over time and, and assuming you are a flexible human being and you're a good listener, um, you can grow together. And so I met my husband when I was 19, the chances of that working out, probably most people, they not give it that much of an, you know, like too many odds of success. Cause we got married at 22 again, brains, not fully formed. Um, but I think that it kind of goes back to the combination of when you grow together, you start realizing where your strengths are and where the other ones are. And if you've got that spirit of partnership, you have that opportunity to grow together. I, and, and Adam, my husband has been incredibly supportive of me personally, professionally in, 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 in every way of my life. And I am with him as well. And because of that, I think, you know, there's, there's mutual respect for his job, my job, there's you know, parenting is a freaking hard thing to do. And my kids are now, my daughter will be 24 this month. My son is 21. It is still a lot of work. Um, but having, having a partner that is in it with you and, and, and is as invested as you makes it, I wouldn't say easier, but at least more bearable or like not hating yourself enough. Um, as much on, on the professional side, I also met Brian Wiener, my, my business partner, when I was pretty young, um, we both were working at the same company and we met and we were peers, um, working in different departments, but working for the same person. Um, and he was my first advocate at work. I was very bad at that self-advocacy. So all the things about finding the facts and telling your achievements, I never told them. I never told them. And I was like, not wallowing or anything like that. I just was not, I wasn't advancing. And he was the first person that put a mirror up to me and said, hey, do you see all this stuff that you're doing? And was able to actually help catapult and be my advocate for me at work, but more importantly, teaching me to advocate for myself. So that when he went to his next job, I was like, please take me with you. You're make, you're helping me be a better version of myself, um, or at least a better version of myself that I thought that I 
could be. And so all of a sudden I'm seeing potential in a way that I did not see previously. What's happened over the past 20 plus years has been that we've also fallen into our superpowers and vulnerabilities. I know the things I'm not so good at. I know the things he's not so good at and vice versa. And that compliment allows it to us not to get seen in each other's ways. If we butt heads, it's productive. Um, and yeah, no, I'm very thankful for my work husband and my home husband. Yeah. And thank you. I have to, first of all, thank Adam for listening to my, um, what should we call them? Bitch sessions. <laughs> I was here on long car trips so, and, and not getting too annoyed by them. So I'm grateful to Adam for that. And for when you lend Brian to me on occasion, it's very also, uh, very appreciative as well, too. She's very generous with her, her network. <laughs> Yeah, this oh. definitely sounds very, very awkward. <laughs> there is no subtext. And if it is, it's in your own mind, people. <laughs> There's no subtext at all there. So um, so this has been a great conversation, Sarah, and I appreciate it. I'm just going to close out with a final question. Um, and it really helps me, you know, personally, this is selfish. So I'm, you know, for everybody who's listening, you're benefiting from my own perspective shifting um, to have somebody like Sarah. And I also want Diana to answer the question too, um, to close us out is tell us, you know, your evolution of your career and having decades of experience um, and then pivoting, evolving your career based on um, what the market is telling you or what's happening. Um, you know, the example of e-commerce is so is so impactful right right now it didn't exist years ago and now it's here and now you guys are both experts in something that literally didn't exist so tell us tell the listeners think about your career and it's how it's evolved and what does it say that is important for us to know about the future as we plan careers going forward if there's something that you could take away just looking back on what you've learned so far what does it help you to think about to um, encourage others of what we should be thinking about for the future and how to navigate career. I'd love to start with you, Sarah, and then close out with Diana. You sure you don't want to flip? <laughs> I'll go I first. Will. I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. Just because we've talked about this before. Um, so there's two things, and Sarah, you give me advice on this a lot of times too. It's it, it and you you spoke about it a little bit earlier. It's about seeing what's coming. So how do you make yourself as marketable as possible while staying true to what you enjoy? So if you want to be a subject matter expert or an SME in a spe specific area, you have to make sure that area isn't going to become obsolete at some point. So, and if it could, like, how do you flex around it? So for me specifically, that meant making sure I had PL and operational role experience. That meant, you know, I built a network that allowed me to kind of see what's coming, what's coming around the corner so I could stay current and relevant. I think it's really important that you think about, you know, for most of us, we're not just doing this because we're passionate, we care about it. We're doing it because we're building financial wealth for our families. We're doing it to uh, sustain a lifestyle uh, that we're excited about. Um, and we're also doing it for the love of doing the work. So how do you keep yourself as relevant as possible and make sure you factor in those things that are important to you. So, and I've talked about this in other episodes, uh, money is very important to me. It's my number one motivator. Like I, I really do care about rebuilding the wealth that I believe uh, for generations has been lost in my community specifically. Power is important to me and influence and the ability to have impact uh, and invest in other people. Those are the criteria that I look at. Now, how I get to those things can shift and I'm willing to be flexible, as Sarah said, in, in other areas. And if I'm lucky enough to find a space like I, I am currently in that I love and I enjoy, 
um, that gives me excitement, then more power to me. But that's been kind of uh, my roadmap and really, really leaning into connections like um, the ones that you, we've kind of talked about today so that um, I have a good perspective on what I'm good at, but also, you know, what I suck at. I'll build on that. Um, not what you suck at. Um, but, but I do think that there, the, the most important thing, which is the hardest thing to do is find self-awareness. And because once you have that self-awareness, you can identify what your superpowers are, where your weaknesses are, and then based on that, determine what you want to do about it. Like there, I've got plenty of weaknesses. Some of them I'm working on. Some of them I'm saying, I'm never going to get better at these things. I'm not passionate about it. I'm not going to get better. So I have to either hire around it or find jobs around it. Um, and I think that that for me has been pr pretty important guide. So as I think through whether, you know, it's from role to role or just whether or not I'm able to help somebody or not, I do think through like, what's my superpower and, you know, what's my kryptonite and do, and, and within my list of kryptonite, cause it's a long list. Um, you know, how much am I going to, you know, how much am I going to be investing to move that either into a superpower into neutral territory or just say, screw it. I can't get any better at this. I need to find a compliment that can actually help me in that environment. So, um, I think that's, that's probably the most critical component. And then it, it kind of goes back to what Diana just said, just be true to yourself. Diana just said what her motivators are don't bullshit yourself, you know? And, and once you kind of know what your motivators are, that can help you with your North star because yes, she's motivated by money, but she's not like sitting there walking around and asking for handouts. She's saying what needs to be true for me to make a lot of money. I don't think that that has to be so terribly complicated. I don't think you need to read these big business books in order to get there. Although some are kind of good. So what you guys have both done. So Diana and your like really acknowledgement of like peeking around the corner, right? Think about five steps ahead of you. What does that look like? And how do you desire to evolve um, such that you can be a marketable entity no matter where you are, right? You drop you on the moon and you'll be able to figure out how to make something amazing happen on the moon and businesses to be excited about it. And then Sarah, your point on like self-awareness is like, oh, it's such a juicy word. It's one of my favorite things to really talk about because I think as we um, as we navigate systems, we know that the systems exist and some of them are in place and there's some impact we can have on them, but there's also some that we can't, right? And thinking about that ROI from an investment standpoint, how much energy am I going to put into making myself into a version where the system works with me versus um, navigating new spaces where I might be able to have an experience that's really important to me in the next phase of my career. And I think both of those are such juicy and like amazing closing points for us. When I think about my own experience and my own journey and self-awareness, I think the ability to be honest with myself and tell myself the truth um, consistently has made me then have much more empathy and tolerance and listen, patience for myself, right? I think the uh, ability to give ourselves grace and to be patient with ourselves as we navigate this authenticity. And as we say, these are the things that are important to me. These motivate me. This is who I am, right? I think our careers have the ability to evolve that way. If not, and you have that rigidity that we talked about earlier, 
it just puts you in a place where you're going to have to stay in the box of wherever you've been painted rather than having the ability to evolve. So that self-awareness is so mission critical. And then thinking about what are your drivers? What are the things that really motivate you and how can you get more of them? Um, and designing a career that allows you to get to those places. You guys are both great examples of that. So thank you so much. It's always, always, always a great time to be able to be with such talented and influential women and to be able to do it in a way that feels like we all get to grow from it. It just makes my day. This I love this work. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get emotional. You're crying. I'm not crying. So <laughs> I appreciate you guys all being with us here today. We appreciate you riding with us on the Career Junch for the Journey podcast. We'll look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. We will make sure to include um, information about Sarah, her profile, and her podcast, the um, Brave Commerce podcast. So we'll have you have an opportunity to drop that in the show notes. And you should look for us on the next episode of Career Junch for the Journey. We'll see you there. Your last performance review was solid, but it only came with a small salary increase. I understand, I've been there too. You want to negotiate for more money, but you're not sure where to start. We can help. Get your digital copy of Salary Power Moves Winning the Compensation Negotiation today for just $9.99 at gemsforthejourney.org shop. You'll learn what to put on the table in your negotiation and how to influence the people in your organization to give you additional compensation. Grab your copy today for just $9.99 at gemsforthejourney.org slash shop and learn to negotiate. This was Amma Gordon and Leah Murphy. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode gave you some real gems that you can use on your own career journey. Come back for the next episode and be sure to follow us on social at Gems for the Journey on Instagram and Career Gems for the Journey on LinkedIn. You can also email us at info at gemsforthejourney.org with any questions or comments you may have.